0: Pray, man. I'm looking forward to hearing you. Father, I thank you for Ronnie. I thank you for, God, just the time that he has spent reading in this text. Father, I pray that he, along with all of us, God, we won't fall into the trap that we have to be uh, motivational or inspiring. We just need to be clear. So, Father, I pray that as he opens your word, Father, and, and we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I pray that you, your word, will speak to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, Chris. Well, good morning, fellas. It's good to be with you. We're going to jump right in. Uh, if you have a, a guide with you, and if you don't, man, we've got them out there, and you can take a picture of the QR code at your table, um, and you get a digital copy. But if you haven't already read the introduction, we don't have a page of numbers, but it's essentially like page three. Introduction to 1 Corinthians, that's just a really helpful thing, whether you were here last week or uh, this is your first time. And I was rereading that uh, this week, and there were three words on this page that stopped me in my tracks. It's about halfway down. It's the three words, they were distracted. You ever feel distracted? Maybe a better question, you ever not feel distracted, right? Every time I have sinned, which sinning is disobeying God, it's not eraser moments, it's not mistakes, it's sinning. Every time I've sinned, whether I've been in the wrong place at the wrong time and just made a, a fleshly, sinful decision, or whether I've taken it next level and gone, you know what, I'm putting sin on my calendar, wherever it is, and I wish I didn't know the difference, but I know both, but every time I've ever sinned, at the core of it, I was distracted. And I can say that because the same is true of you. Today we're diving in to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 to 16. Seven verses, and uh, the best caption I could attach to today's seven verses is the only way to be undistracted. The only way to being undistracted. To becoming undistracted. Twelve times in these seven verses, the word spirit is used. Ten of those times, you can notice their capital S spirit. That means the Holy Spirit. And then the other two are lowercase S's, which means they're not the Holy Spirit. They're our own fleshly spirits. And it's worth pointing out a few key insights here. First off is that Paul is talking, he's writing to believers, uh, Christians as we call it today here, people who have said yes to placing their faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and who have said yes to doing what he did and that is uh, being immersed through Christian baptism. That's who he's talking to, to believers here. And according to Scripture, it is when you are baptized that the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence inside of you. No X-ray or MRI shows that. But make no mistake, when you're baptized, the Holy Spirit takes residency inside of you. In Mark 1:10 it says uh, that, it shows us that Jesus was baptized. And by the way, Jesus was the only person who was baptized solely to model for us what to do to follow him. He didn't need to be forgiven of his sins, but he was baptized as a model for us to follow. And it says this in Mark 1:10, it says as Jesus was coming up out of the water, catch this, it says he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him Like a dove. Remember, Jesus came here on earth to model for us how to live. And, you know, it's like, how can you be fully man and fully God? Like, that's confusing. Well, the simple version is he didn't stop being fully God when he was born here as a human. His his deity was veiled. He allowed it to be veiled so that we can relate to him because if he always had the god card he'd be unrelatable but it says that the holy spirit descended on him in human form and until you do what jesus did and are baptized your life is 100% living from lowercase s spirit which means your life and your wisdom completely depends on you which is a really scary place to be and a place, scary place to live it's impossible place to live, actually. And for those who have accepted Jesus as Savior and have been baptized, with, which many of you in this room have, but even though the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, comes to live inside of you when you came up out of the baptism waters, you still have a significant role to play, and that is welcoming him into your daily life. Here's why this is so significant even when you came up out of the water when on December 25th, 1983, when my dad brought me up out of the water at Salveley Christian Church on Christmas Day, even though I had the Holy Spirit in me, I still had free will, which means that God still gave me the ability to choose whatever decision I wanted and to to talk however I wanted and do whatever I wanted, right? Um, a person doesn't come up out of the The baptism waters and now all of a sudden they're a robot who only has the mind of Christ and who doesn't struggle with temptation anymore. Uh, In fact, a lot of times it's even more because now we're a threat to the enemy. But this is why today's topic is so paramount to pursuing this life to the full that John uh, 10.10, that Jesus talks about in John 10.10. And so let's let me share two statements and, and I'm just going let to them, let them sink in for just a few moments before we jump into the passage. First statement, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself where he's not welcome or wanted, even when he's living inside of you. Second is the Holy Spirit is always fresh, never stale. Just think about that for a minute. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.7, God tells us, or, or tells us that for God did not give us a spirit, um, small s, of timidity, but the spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And so part of my hope this morning, as we dive into these seven verses, is to remove this mystery of the Holy Spirit. Because God never intended the Holy Spirit to be some mysterious secret that only a select few ever figure out the secret handshake to and tap into. The Holy Spirit is for everyone who is in Christ. And I love how God uses different translations of Scripture to speak to us in different ways. I love that, but I will say the King James Version, which we don't speak uh, normally today, is one version on the topic of the Holy Spirit that I'm not a big fan of, because a lot of times in King James Version throughout Scripture, it refers to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost, and even though it says holy in front of ghost, I don't like that, because I don't hear ghost and think of Casper the friendly ghost, who is not the Holy Spirit, by the way, but I, I go to like like Woo, like scary. And, you know, it's that scene in a movie that you're like, oh my goodness, I'm dehydrated and still have to go to the bathroom. And so I don't like that use of the Holy Spirit because it, it, can, it can imply scary. And there is, the Holy Spirit is all powerful because he's God, but he's not scary. He's not intended to be mysterious at all. In fact, the Holy Spirit is intended to be for you and me what Jesus was to his disciples. Get this, our best friend. That's the Holy Spirit's desire and role as God created it in our lives. Dan Spader, a guy who uh, mentored me on some of these practices about 10 years ago, he used to say, man, I, I love to start my morning off and he started off super early He said, I used to love starting my morning off with, Holy Spirit, how's our friendship this morning? And I'm sitting there in his class hearing that and being like, I'd be scared to ask the Holy Spirit if we're even friends, much less best friends. But he's intended to be our best friend. So I'm gonna do my best to paint a clear picture of the Holy Spirit's role uh, he desires to play in all of our lives, And to tee up a few tips for how to leverage him so that your life is marked by his power, by his love, by his self-discipline, by his um, discernment, and by his wisdom. Not our own. Take this floor lamp next to me for instance. Imagine how ridiculous I would look like I am now to be doing this, and it wouldn't take many of you, you know, you didn't have to score high on your ACT test to be like, hey, bing bong, like, right, it'd be like, hey, ding dong. It's simple. Uh, Ah, Now, imagine... You walking around in life as a Christian man, frustrated, shaking this thing, if your life is this, if you walk around in life like this, like even if you were hit a lot in football in the head, you're still going to be like, that dog won't hunt, right? So why is that my default if I'm not careful? Because God never intended for us to live that way. But when we plug in our life into the source, who is the Holy Spirit, our life is what God intended. We're light. And we have power. His power. Now, when we tap into His source, here's a couple truths. We still have to work. We still... Have to experience all the messiness and troubles of this world, but tapping into the Holy Spirit as your power source, as my power source, is God's desire for us to live. He's intended to be the oxygen to our souls, for our souls. And anything short of this results in life suffocation in every way. And with that in mind, let's jump in to chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, verses 10 to 16. Verse 10, I'm reading from the NIV, which is in our guides. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So it's important to stop when it's like, I don't know what that means. So let's ask the question, what things, right? That's a natural, logical question to him saying, these are the things. It's revealed wisdom by God, to us through the Holy Spirit. All right, the way God the Father reveals his wisdom to you and me, to us, on any and every matter, is through the Holy Spirit. God's ways are best always, even when they don't make sense to me. So if you want God's best in your life, tap into the Holy Spirit. That's how you tap into the deep things of God that Paul's referring to here. And at the end this morning, I'm going to share a couple practical tips on how we tap into the Holy Spirit in practical ways. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. A few years ago, my mom, who has stage four bone cancer, she was having some heart stuff going on, and she called my wife, Tish, one morning, and she was explaining how, like, the thing she was explaining to Tish, Tish was like, um, we need to go take you to the ER, like, right now. So, we go pick her up. We rush her to the ER, and they, they work her in to the ER room quickly, and she, my wife is sitting in the room with my mom, and the doctor comes in, and He's asking some basic questions. He does some tests, hooks things up and everything tested out. And he's like getting ready to release my mom. And, and my wife with her intuition, she said, um, cause she's, she's witnessed my mom essentially just sitting there and if he asks her a question she answers but she's basically not saying anything. And my wife Tish says, hey, Connie, um, why don't you tell the doctor what you told me on the phone this morning? Because my, my wife realized she hadn't shared that. Well, she shares what she told my mom, and, my, and the doctor goes from, you know, basically signing the release form to he perks up and he's, 10 minutes later, he's admitting her into the hospital, And I remember spending the night in the hospital room with my mom and politely telling her, Mom, doctors are not mind readers. Like, you have to tell them how you're feeling in order for them to maximize being helpful to you. And so the the truth here, when it says, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them in the same way no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Right? We can't know God's thoughts without Him sharing them. Good news. That's why He gave us the Holy Spirit, because He wants us to know His thoughts. And when we tap into the power source, we tap into knowing God's thoughts. That's why He sent the Holy Spirit to be our guide, to be our counselor, to be our conscience. We don't have to rely on the world's guesses and books and opinions. Again, remember, the Holy Spirit's our power source, so tapping into him is how we know the thoughts of God. Verse 12, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This verse is reinforcing that God lives, uh, gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can understand the ways of him and the things he has freely given us. So again, let's ask what things? What, what are these things that he's freely given us? You know, salvation is the primary thing. Last week, Chris um, shared the gospel, right? And how God freely gave us his son, Jesus. And notice the words freely given. These two words matter because they reveal to us that God offers salvation to us for free. It costs him everything, his one and only son. Doesn't cost us that. Paul says here that his knowledge of this comes from God through the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Holy Spirit or by the Spirit explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Paul is saying that his, his knowledge of God didn't come from reading books or going to school. Not that those are bad things. But he's saying that he was discipled by the Holy Spirit and that these believers have the same spirit to disciple them and this is who taught, this is who inspired, this is who revealed these truths to Paul. Which is important. 1 Peter 2.2, two, I love this verse. It says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your faith. Some say in your salvation. If I am not tuning into the Holy Spirit to help me grow spiritually mature, I fail every time to understand spiritual realities and what God has freely given to me. It like doesn't make sense. It's when, when I'm not tuning in to the Holy Spirit in that way, it's when Scripture just seems flat and seems boring and seems confusing. And there are a lot of confusing things in Scripture. But that's why the Holy Spirit's here, is to help us to understand things that books can't help us with. Verse 14 The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. When I was reading this the past few weeks, my mind goes to this past summer when my wife and I were invited uh, by a couple friend of ours, David and Amy, to go do this... um, it was like a wedding reception, but you just bought tickets and went and ate this meal at this farm-to-table thing. And there was eight seats. It was the four of us plus four extras. And next thing I know, these two other couples walk over like, hey, is anybody sitting here? And I was like, I guess they are now. Um, they sit down and, you know, there were times we're all talking. There was times where, you know, there'd just be all these one-off conversations. And, and there was, it was wife Wife, husband, husband. Um, and the wife sitting next to me is married to Bill, who's two over from her. And in the course of conversation, she's like, hey, what do you do for a living? And, you know, I told her, I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor at a church in Louisville. And she does this as if it was a punchline, but it wasn't a punchline. And she goes, my husband's an atheist. I was like, oh, wow. Well. Didn't know if I was supposed to say congratulations or how to respond to that. But... Um, he was talking with the other dude, and so he didn't even hear her say that, um, even though she said it pretty loud. And so fast forward about an hour, because it was a slow meal, uh, those two couples get up to leave, and I mean, we had a good time together, and they get up to leave, and you can, I could can almost visualize, like, uh, this lady and Bill are walking out to the car, and I can almost Rolodex this conversation, like, hey, you'll never believe the guy, what the guy sitting next to me does for a living. And the next thing I know, he's walking back in the room straight to our table, and he comes over to me, and he says, hey, I've been waiting to find somebody um, like you that I can sit down and have a conversation with. And then he says this, literally, not to convert me, because that's not happening. And I was like, okay, well, um, exchange numbers, uh, reach out to him. About five times, getting ghosted. Next thing I know, he responds and says, Hey, let's, uh, let's, let's meet. We sit down at Heine Brothers. First time. And, you know, it's one thing I learned is when you're quoting scripture to somebody that doesn't believe the Bible is truth, it's kind of like, uh, now what, right? And trying to explain biblical wisdom to somebody who doesn't have the Spirit of God in them, it's, and so this verse, made me think of Bill and I met with him again and uh, the truth is even though he's a brilliant man by worldly standards the dude is is well read in all realms uh, reads everything under the sun retired UPS pilot truth is he has no capacity for the Holy Spirit and so far it it seems like silliness to him and here's why because the spirit and I'm not saying that to throw shade by the way but the truth is because spirit can be known only by spirit the Holy Spirit and our spirits in open communion he didn't have that and so the things I'm talking about to him seem like foolishness Past two times I've met with him. The Holy Spirit hasn't forced his way onto Bill. Therefore, Bill doesn't accept the things that come from God. He considers them foolishness. I told him last month about a book that my friend Jay had told me about, and I picked up. It's called Letters from a Skeptic. And I was telling him about it, and he bought it. And just last night, I get this text back from Bill in response to me reaching out to him a couple days ago, wishing him a happy birthday. And you can't make this up. He says, This, we got to get together and discuss the book. I responded to him this morning. Full disclosure, you're a faster reader than me. Give me some more time um, because I'm about halfway done. But hey, listen, even though this is foolishness to Bill not giving up on him. I'm praying that God captures his heart so that only the Holy Spirit can help lift the blindness off of his eyes, like he has many of us in this room. Last week, Chris taught us 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And I'm going to meet again with Bill in a couple weeks, Lord willing, and I'll have to remind myself like I have the past two times going in to meet with him that Bill doesn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of him, so don't expect him to understand the Spirit of God or to embrace these Christian values that I embrace yet. A man cannot understand the things that come from the Spirit of God, not because he is not smart. Instead, it's because they're spiritually dead to God, like Bill. Verse 15, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. Notice the word things here again. It's also used in verse 10 and 14. Uh, again, the revealed truths of God in salvation. And so why is it that he who is spiritual judges all things, yet is rightly judged by no one. What does that mean? Paul explains it in this next concluding verse, verse sixteen four. Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. No one can instruct God. That's a fact. This also means that no one can judge God. He is judge. He is creator. So, We who embrace God's truths can't be judged either because we have the mind of Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. And I want to close our time this morning by focusing on these last seven words in verse six. But we have the mind of Christ. What does it even mean to have the mind of Christ? And uh, equally important question is how do I develop into having it? 1 John two six says whoever claims to live in him, Jesus, must walk as Jesus walked or, or live as Jesus lived. The answer to this question is simply put, to pursue being 100% undistracted by the patterns of this world. In other words, the noise of the modern world sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? Not at all. John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, I highly recommend it. It's on our monthly reading list. He says that the discipline, that, that a discipline is a way to access power, right? If you don't... Uh, It's it's weight access power. He says that a spiritual discipline is similar but different. It's opening yourself up to a power far beyond your own, that of the Holy Spirit. He says the noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the one input we most need, the power source. And I also like what he says regarding spiritual disciplines. He prefers to call them the practices of Jesus because Jesus is our model, right? Galatians 5.25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so, you look throughout Scripture, there's so many verses in Scripture that talk about being still and being quiet. I heard Chris reference Exodus 14.14 this morning during our first Thursday prayer time. And that verse says, the Lord will fight for you, you only need to be still. In Psalm 23, two to three, it says, he leads me beside noisy, no, it says beside quiet waters. And then it says, he restores my soul. Psalm 46, 10 says, be still and know that I am God. All these things from people who are known as friends with God Instruct us to be still, be quiet. Block out the noise. Be, un- be, be undistracted. And I believe the answer is simple. It's because the Holy Spirit doesn't yell. I believe that's why the Bible tells us over and over again that, hey, be still. Be quiet. Get away from all the noise. It's because the Holy Spirit doesn't yell. He doesn't raise his voice so that we can hear him above all of our noise that we've put in our lives. It's our role to eliminate the noise. And that's when we can hear his gentle whisper. We can feel that gentle tap on the shoulder, a prompting to give me his discernment, his wisdom, his power, his love that I can have the mind of Christ that I tap into this type of power source. For Sam Reeder, it's getting on his face early in the morning in his closet. For Jay Dorch, it's taking an early morning prayer walk, a new rhythm that he's started. For Chris Burke, it's taking an extended bath. Now we're gonna be tempted to laugh, but listen, this man's full of the Holy Spirit, so maybe some of you need to take a bath. For Tim Hester, it's getting up at 5 a.m. every day which means by mid-afternoon he's getting real excited to take a nap when he gets home, but he does that so that he's up before his family and kids are up so that he can be still. For Chris Morgan, he schedules his quiet time every day and he doesn't budge on it. Not for legalistic reasons, but because he knows the enemy wants him to unplug from the power source. For me, it's devoting Wednesday mornings consistently when I'm in town to go into a place called Iron Bell over by Lake Forest from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. because for me that's my place where I'm undistracted and I can have an extended time of being still and knowing that God is God. My soul is not restored going Mach 7 24-7 and neither is yours. Similarly, God is never in a hurry, even when I am. And so here's what I've learned in 50 years of life, uh, 40 of those pursuing Jesus as Lord, about pursuing developing the mind of Christ daily, because it's not a magic prayer, I wish it was, but it's a pursuit, it's a lifelong pursuit. First thing, schedule your time with God the night before. To be still and tune into reading scripture and spending time praying. Thanking God, acknowledging who He is, confessing your sins, repenting of sin, and then asking the Holy Spirit to guide you in for specific things. Over and over again in the Gospels, even when Jesus' days were full and long, it says early in the morning, over and over again early in the morning while it was still dark Jesus went to his quiet place to spend time with his father he valued this um, valued that even over a good night of sleep even when he got to bed late he was like I- I'm not skipping time with my father because that's my power source second thing if you want to develop the mind of Christ pray this simple prayer it's not a formula but it can be really helpful lens for your day. Pray first thing. Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my day. And I'm asking you to help me to be sensitive and obedient to your promptings for me today. Simple. He wants to be in your life. He wants to play the power source role in your life. And he will make you sensitive. He will prompt you for the things of God. But here's how, um, well, first off, Jesus was guilty of only saying and only doing what the Holy Spirit, what his father told him to do through the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus never said, oops, my bad. He was that in tune with the Holy Spirit, with his father through the Holy Spirit. So when you sense you're being prompted by the Holy Spirit, here is a very, very helpful Um, gauge for you to or or filter for you to walk through because sometimes it's like, man, I don't know. Was that the Holy Spirit or a bad burrito from last night? Like sometimes it because, why is that? Because the enemy masquerades around like the Holy Spirit. Emphasis masquerades because he's a poser. So he has to try to disguise his voice as the Holy Spirit and so it's only when we're still and it's only when we go through this gauge that we know that. First off, to find out if, if you're like, man, I, I really sense that the Holy Spirit's prompting me to do this or to say this. Here's some good pointers, tips to ask. Does the prompting conflict with Scripture? You know, Ronnie, I really feel like the Holy Spirit's prompting me to, um, to move in with my girlfriend or my fiance. Well, nope, because he doesn't conflict with what Scripture says. Does this require a posture of serving and sacrifice? Whenever I sense that the Holy Spirit is prompting me to do something or to say something, I'm always confident when it's requiring me to sacrifice something, whether finances, my time, it causes, if it's causing me to go out of my way for somebody that can do nothing in return, chances are probably a Holy Spirit prompting. If both check out yes, chances are It may be, it's probably from the Holy Spirit. If it benefits you or requires someone else to serve you, chances are it is not from the Holy Spirit, but your own lowercase s spirit. You know, whenever somebody says, you know, Ronnie, God told me and then goes off to, you know, something I'm supposed to do for them, I'm like, okay. Jesus acted only in love even when he spoke hard truth to people. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. Another one is have time every day where you are not tethered to technology. Like every day. I heard a guy talking a couple years ago at J.H. Ranch and he said, talking about technology to daughter, to kids and adults. He said, hey, step, step away from technology an hour a day, a day a week and a week a year. Um, I did that this past summer, a week. When we were on vacation, I literally turned my phone off. It was one of the best things I've ever done. It also reminded me how tethered I am to technology, even with good things. Step away from technology every day. Here's what I've learned about jumping back into having the mind of Christ when I blow it, because, hey, let's be honest, we are all ordinary human sinful men saved only by God's grace. When I sin, Dan Spader taught me this. He said, when I sin, here's what it does. If you, think of, uh, if you think of your life as a throne, he says, when I sin, what I'm doing is I'm removing the Holy Spirit from the throne and I'm putting myself up on it. And he says, when you sin, don't wait till the next day to confess your sin and to repent because that's wasting a whole day and means you're living the whole day living in your flesh, He says the moment you sin, he said confess your sin to God and to repent because by doing that, what you're doing is you're you're taking yourself back off the throne and you're putting the Holy Spirit on the throne, which is his place in the first place. And that's how we tap back into the power source. That is how we develop having the mind of Christ This is how you pursue having the mind of Christ and living undistracted, opening yourself up to a power far beyond your own, that of the Holy Spirit. That is truth. Here's what also is truth. The enemy wants to fill you with lies and to distract you, and he doesn't fight fair. He'll use whatever tactics to get in the way, to distract you from Plugging in and from staying plugged in to the power source. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to link arms with each other so we can encourage each other like, hey, keep fighting to be undistracted and to call out each other when we are distracted. God is so gracious. He's so good. He's so good that he wants us to know him. We do that through the Holy Spirit. Father, You're so good to us even when we don't acknowledge your goodness. Lord, I pray for every man in here. I pray that you would, this morning, that you would give us courage to be honest about where we are with you, Holy Spirit. But God, regardless where we are, I pray that you would use us linking arms together to spur each other on, to encourage each other. God, would you reveal to every one of us what it is that is distracting us and keeping us from knowing you through your Holy Spirit, and that we would relentlessly eliminate it. And you'd use each of us to help hold each other accountable, because We can make decisions in here, and by the time we get to the car, already negotiate our way out of living them out. You're worth it, Father. Encourage these men as they dive in. Thank you for being for this time. Thank you for giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name, Amen. amen.